Welcome to Retold, the podcast where we have real people retell their amazing experiences of life. We believe life provides the greatest source of drama, intrigue, and humor. Stories here are fresh, inspirational, and transforming. Join us, won't you? Welcome to this week's edition of Retold, where ordinary people tell their extraordinary stories of life, inspiration. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've located us. You can find us on all of your regular platforms of podcast, whether it's Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast, or Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Please let other people know and please subscribe to our podcast so when new ones are uploaded, you can locate them immediately. Today, we have a special guest. She's an author. She's a school teacher. She's a friend of mine I've known for a long time. Her name is Jennifer Dybel. I used to actually work for her father, and he was my supervisor for a while. And I know much about her family, her husband, her children, and I'm really thrilled that she's here today. You're going to enjoy this author as she talks about Dance on Donegal. That's her first book that's out now. And I'd like for all of her fans out there to listen into this podcast and get an insight on why and how she wrote this book and where it comes from inside her heart. So we're glad today to have Jennifer Dybel with us also. My, my co-host is Virginia Solaris, and we're going to enjoy this time together. So listen up. Don't forget, you can find us on Instagram. You can also contact me directly at lewis.retoldpodcast at gmail.com. Enjoy. All right. So today on Retold, we have with us Jennifer Dybel, and she has been the author of a couple of books, I think a third one on the way now, and she has an interesting story to tell, and we're going to let her begin with that story, and our co-host, Virginia Solaris, is going to lead us out in some questions since she has just rampaged through the books and has lots of information about it. So, Virginia, take off, and Jennifer, welcome to our show. Okay, so... You know, uh, my first question is, is where does the, where do the stories come? What inspired you to write these stories? Because they are great. They're great stories. Um, and I, I think a lot of women, I mean, I am assuming mostly your readers are women, um, will be interested in these stories. So that's my first question is where, where did they come from? Or how did you come up with them? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm so excited to be able to sit down and chat with you guys. Um, so the first story, A Dance in Donegal, came to me. My husband and I had spent a couple of years actually living in Donegal, Ireland, which is far northwest of the island. And we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We were um, studying the language and culture at that time. And um, it was two of the hardest but also most amazing years in our 21 years of marriage so far and we came back to the states after those two years and I just I needed to process all that we had been through and all that we had experienced and um, I had just finished reading a book about um, a sewing circle group 
And in the back of the book, um, the, there was a note from the publisher saying that they were always looking for um, uplifting stories, and they were especially interested in um, stories that involved other cultures or um, like holiday celebrations. And as soon as I read that, this story idea popped into my head for this young woman who moves from America to Ireland to teach, and it's in the village that her mother had come from. And it was a very basic idea, but it, it kind of started out as sort of a catharsis for me um, to just process um, some of the experiences that we had had and a way to kind of um, remember all the wonderful things that we had experienced as well and the people and the culture and the language. And so I started writing it at that point and it just kind of morphed into what it is now, which it started as just a straight um, sort of love story between the hero and heroine. And over the years that I was working on it, it, it added this sort of mystery or suspense type element to it where she gets there and realizes that um, there's these rumors surrounding her mother and why her mother had left all those years ago. And so she ends up having to try to get to the bottom of these rumors and they end up putting her career and her life in danger. And so she has to sort of um, work through that and her faith is tested in the process. And um, so that's kind of where it, where it all started. It was a long journey. It was 15 years from when I first started it to when um, I was offered the contract for publication. So it had a lot of time to morph and twist <laughs> over that time. 15 years from the time you got the idea to the time it was complete? Yes. Um, I blame my children in part for that because when I first started it, I was expecting our first daughter. And then when she was born, it of course had to sit. And then our second daughter came along 27 months later and then we moved back overseas. And so it wasn't until we'd been back in Ireland in the Galway area for a couple of years that I picked it back up again and really started looking more seriously at using writing um, in my own faith journey, as well as to encourage other moms or other women in their faith journey. And so I, that's when I picked it back up. But even from then, it was several more years before it was finished and would be um, looked for to actually be published so yeah it's been a long long road so so remembering things at the book writing process uh, a romance between a man and a woman but it also helped you remember and kind of you know crystallize some of the instances and situations and people and kept them live in your mind is that part of mm -hmm. the writing process Oh, absolutely. For sure. I like to think of it as a, a love letter from my heart to Ireland and her people, just because um, our time there did shape and change our family in so many different ways. Very good. You know that uh, I found out I did one of those 23andMe DNA test things, you know? Oh, nice. And I found out that I'm 43% Irish. That is awesome. <laughs> so I, I have that in common with a couple of guys, and I didn't even know there was like this big Irish kind of institute thing here in Phoenix, and yeah. we're yes, we're, we're the trying cultural to go. Center. Yeah, the cultural center, and I said I got to go figure out who I am. It's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's that place is awesome. That place is awesome. Okay, 
Thank you for that. And uh, Virginia has some more questions for oh, us. Oh, okay. Um, so do you see yourself as a writer or as a storyteller? Oh, goodness. Probably both. Um, but I, goodness, maybe more of a storyteller just because even when I write, you know, nonfiction articles or informative things or when I'm teaching or whatever, story does often come into what I'm doing, even if it wasn't meant to be story-like. So may maybe storyteller. <laughs> okay, good. Storyteller. And uh, the books, you have a, now you have a second one that's already out, right? Um, the second one is coming out on February 1st. February 1st. And tell us the name. That's called The Lady of Galway Manor. The Lady of Galway Manor. And is there a third one? There is a third one. Um, just signed a contract a couple of months ago for a third one that is slated to come out the following February. And this one, we're actually heading back to Donegal. Um, it's going to be, it's a standalone as well. All three of the books are standalone, but um, there may or may not be some familiar faces throughout that that one. So I'm in the middle of, of drafting that, that rough draft right now. So going back to Donegal, will help you to solidify some more thoughts about that third one. For sure, okay. yeah. Okay, very good. Are they, they're all set in the turn of the century time period? Yes, Correct? the first two are both set in 1920, 1921. Um, the third one is actually set in 1935, so it's a little bit later. Oh, it's a little so bit um, after the War for Independence, so we'll get to see some of the repercussions from that, but it's not quite into... Um, World War II yet, so it's a it's an interesting time period for sure. Very good. Um, so you know, in the in the first one, um, the main character, I want to say her name is Moira. She's yes. she seems to be searching through the whole book for a home, or what mm -hmm. she thinks is a home, or what does home mean. And my mm -hmm. and that made me immediately think of you as the author. Like, what what does home mean to you and to your characters? Mm. I think that is something that um, I resonate with with Moira. Is you know, w in all of our journeys overseas, we were blessed to be able to spend a long time overseas doing various things, and one of the things. The byproducts of that was that my definition of home did change. Um, and I honestly feel like it, um, whole concept of home is definitely one of the things that I feel like I really um, can relate to with Moira. Um, we were blessed to be able to spend a really long time overseas, um, a total of almost 10 years when it was all said and done. And so one of the things that just sort of came about through that was that my definition of home definitely did change. And um, in a lot of ways, I think we feel like we don't really have a home anymore. Like all of those places that we've been are home and we've left pieces of ourselves in each one of those places. Um, but really home is, is the people that you're with. And it's also kind of solidified my eternal view of home and that I don't know that we ever were truly meant to feel completely at home here where we are. Um, even if you've been born and raised in the same 
city and you live down the street from the home that you grew up in or whatever, um, I think we were meant to have this longing for something more, a deeper place of belonging. And that can only be found through um, that relationship with Christ. And that ultimately, well, we have our home um, on the other side, if you will. And so I think Mora going through that journey is sort of a mirror of my own journey in that respect that she she left a place her mother has just died she doesn't have any other family um so she she is kind of all alone in the world and so she's struggling to find where does she belong what is her purpose um and i think she learns a lot of the same lessons that that i've been learning along the way as well you know i love that idea of um of us being pilgrims, being aliens, mm. being strangers here. One of my good friends, every time he preaches a funeral for a believer, he says they folded up their tent and moved on. Mm. And, and that, that idea that this is temporary and that what we're looking forward to is eternal. And I really appreciate that, that concept that you've put in your book there. I hope everybody mm. grabs that. You know, the other, the other thing that I was thinking about when I was reading this is um, there's two characters in the first in the first book, um, Peg, and I'm. This is an Irish name, so I'm probably not saying it right. But Colm, or Colm, um, yeah, E-O-L-M. Colm. Say it. Uh, say it again. Colm. 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 Okay. So they're they're the characters of faith in the story mm. that that mentor and assist Moira. Um, and growing her and developing her, especially since she's is far away from home. Um, and my question is, who are they based on? And, you know, like, obviously their faith is something that's substantial. Honestly, I think Peg and Colm are kind of a conglomeration of anyone who's spoken into my own faith journey over the years. Um, you know, I've had so many, and my, hu- my husband and I both have had so many um, people come alongside us and pour into us, into our faith and, um, sort of guide us from birth, starting with our parents. And we both, um, have been going to church as my dad likes to say since nine months before we were born. Um, but from Sunday school teachers to parents of our friends, to our college ministry leader, just so many people. Um, and I think also it was kind of, like who I would hope to be for somebody else. Um, there are a couple of characters in the book that are sort directly inspired by other people, but I think Peggy and Column are sort of like the people that we all wish we could have come alongside us. Very good. That's really that's really kind of exciting. So what do you think you want people to come away with after they read the book more than anything else? Mm. My prayer for this book from the beginning has been that anyone who reads it would be both challenged and encouraged in their own faith journey and their walk with Christ, whether it's somebody for whom church is a four-letter word or somebody who's been a follower of Jesus, you know, for practically their entire life. Um, Maura, basically what her journey boils down to is if, is she willing to obey what the Lord leads her to do, no matter the consequences? And that's sort of a theme that runs throughout. And, and one of the characters even sort of articulates that thought to her. And I think that's something that 
any believer can um, connect with, that there's always been something that we felt the Lord nudging us to do, but we know there's going to be some uncomfortable consequence that's going to come out of it, whether it's just an awkward conversation or being cut off from somebody or what have you. So I just, I hope that people would find something in it that would make them stop and think about their own faith journey, or if they're in a moment of sort of a dark night of the soul, that they might find hope that there is, um, there is reward uh, for their soul to continue to continue on and persevere and not give up. Okay, great. So I know that Ireland, I'm Irish too. I took one of those tests. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not Are nearly as much as you, a lot less. But um, I know that from other books and reading this one, that's that superstition, um, cursing, fairies, you know, like, um, I don't know what you would call that. Maybe pagan or mm. druid or whatever the picks, you know, like why why did you include that in the story? Was it is it so big there in Ireland when you were visiting that it's a part of daily life or you know because Moira is mm. like almost hexed or cursed in the mm-hmm. book, like somebody leaves something terrible outside of her window or whatever. So I just wonder if that's actually a part of life that's happening there, or why did you include? It really is, and if it's not like a daily, an active part of somebody's life, um, it's it's there underneath the surface. For for example, the area that we spent the most of our time in, um, it's sort of rural, but then you can very quickly be in an urban setting, and it's not entirely uncommon to see an area of development and then in the middle of it, a field and in the field is this lone tree sort of wind swept to one side. It has a very distinct look. And the, the sole reason that that land hasn't been developed is because back in the day, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that was believed to be a fairy tree. And the fairies, when I grew up, I would think of fairies as like Tinkerbell or the Tooth Fairy and they're pretty and they're fun and they bring you fun things and they give you presents but to the Irish to the ancient Irish they were they were mean and nasty and that's where actually where the phrase knock on wood comes from is if you were talking about something that you didn't want to happen you would knock on the wood to deafen the fairies so you they wouldn't get the idea from you of how they could come make your life miserable um and so they still won't cut those trees down. They're like, ah, sure. No, I don't believe that. But you know, just in case, um, we're just going to leave it there. So it, it is there. It's, it's woven into their history because they were very, um, pagan and, and the Celtic mysticism and, and all of that was, was who they were, um, really before Patrick and sort of this evangelical awakening that came, with that but there was also a lot of fear with letting some of those things go and so even within the catholic church if you drive around a lot of times the catholic churches instead of having a roman cross will have what they call bridget's cross on there and saint breed actually started out as one of their celtic goddesses and there's a story about how she would um sit among the reeds and teach children tell children um the Bible story and the story of Christ. And she would weave the rushes into this cross type shape. It's also, again, a very distinct um, look to it. And there's another story about she had gone to one of the um, kings of old and was um, 
petitioning for her people and and he said well take your cloak and spread it out spread it out on the ground and whatever it touches that's what your people can keep sort of as a joke and she spread it out and the legend goes that it stretched for miles and miles and miles and miles and it was a miracle and so she she has worked her way into even their their catholic faith and sort of traditional faith practices as well so it is woven in there even if they would deny verbally that oh no i don't buy into that kind of under the surface they're sort of like but what if, what if there is some truth to that i don't want to risk angering them or bringing bad things upon myself that's really interesting uh, i don't mm. think i had ever really heard that before so that's really fascinating to me. Hmm. So in inside Ireland and in your experience and in your book writing and research and everything, are there other subcultures that are evident there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just like in America, we have, you know, like the cowboys and we have our Native American populations or indigenous pop people groups. And um, you have the same thing there within they have the Irish Travelers, which is kind of a, a gypsy nomadic type uh, group. They have their own language. Um, they were kind of referred to a long time ago as the Tinkers because they would come into town and they would often be the Tinkers and they would make the pots and pans and then they would move on. Um, you also have now we've got all the modern, the younger people are, some of them are wanting to sort of distance themselves from the old Irish traditions while others are fighting to keep them alive, things like the language and the music and things. Um, and it's a highly techno technologically advanced country. Um, I think they actually have the highest number of tech companies operating from them in the world. All sorts of American companies and other companies are, are setting up their businesses there because um, the it's just a great place with all the different tax laws and things as well. So it's a very young population, but you've got, you've got all the same types of kind of subcultures and subsections of um, the population that you would find pretty much anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I can relate to several things that you just said, but one of them is, you know, the new Intel plant that's been developed mm. right here in the Southeast Valley. I think Intel spent like $3 billion equipping it and building, it. but one of the internships they have are with Ireland and mm -hmm. they bring Irish engineers here, and they train them to operate their company there. So that's really true. Yes. I see it happening right here in our own hometown. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that might be part of why there is a massive Irish population in Phoenix. I just saw um, a statistic not that long ago. I believe after Boston, Phoenix has the largest Irish um expat population in the country, which I found actually really surprising, but there are companies, Intel, and there's another one, I can't remember um, which one it is now, in the Far East Valley, but they, yeah, it's the same thing. They're, they're all coming from there. There's a partnership between the two countries. So it's kind of fun to have that connection here when I'm feeling homesick for Ireland. It's always easy to find a place to get my Irish fix. <laughs> That's great. Are you planning? I mean, you know, I know you mentioned one trip back to Ireland. Are you guys planning to make any other trips? At this point, we aren't, of course, you know, 
the virus that shall not be named has kind of put a damper on any kind of <laughs> travel gotcha. plans for a while. But um, I think for our family, we're we're going to stay put for a little while. We, we did a lot of traveling when the kids were little and they're more established now and growing up and they've got, you know, their jobs and their sports teams and stuff. So at this point, no, no real plans to, to go back anytime soon, but I hope to someday. One of the things we want to do is we want to be able to direct people that might subscribe to our podcast or listen in to your books and to your writing. Is there a web page or is there Amazon or someplace that they should look for them? Yes, um, all of the above. <laughs> um, my books are available pretty much anywhere books are sold. So all the major places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, even Walmart, Target. Um, but the sort of one-stop shop for all of that is my website. It's just jenniferdibel.com. Um, and there's links to all of my books there, my social media. People can sign up for my monthly newsletter. And that group gets first dibs on everything. They get to see the covers first. They get stories that no one else gets and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, just jenniferdibel.com is, is the best place to start out. Very good. What we'll do is so uh, when we get this published, we will insert in the description that website so that Perfect. so that people can have access to it and the titles of your books and the looking forward to of the third book also. That's awesome. We'll talk Thank about you. all those things. Anything that's going on family-wise that we can encourage you with, pray about, or help? Anything? Um, you know, just praying for our kids as they're in public school that they would be salt and light. Um, of course, for health, for all of us, I'm, I'm a public school teacher as well. So I'm around hundreds of teenagers every day. So just um, strength and health and protection from discouragement just as we go through the year. It's another, I think we were all hoping this year would be more normal, but it's going to be another weird one, I think. So that, that would be the biggest thing. All right. We really appreciate you taking time to do this in a remote way. I wish I could have seen your face. It's easier. I know. To I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's easier to interact with you when I see you, but I, I totally understand. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram, on Stitcher, on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, your favorite place to grab podcast and contact somebody else about Retold.